What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Keep It Posy podcast. My name is Jasmine, and this is episode 72. With the help of this week's guest, we are going to learn about this week's nonprofit organization featured in the Posy Spotlight. RAIN is the nation's largest anti sexual violence organization. It created and operates the National Sexual Assault Hotline in partnership with more than 1,000 local sexual assault service providers across the country. RAIN also carries out programs to prevent sexual violence, help survivors, and ensure that perpetrators are brought to justice. To learn more or make a donation to RAIN, you can visit RAIN.org. R-A-I-N-N dot org. This week's episode features Kendra. Kendra does a number of things in the music scene. She is a founder of The Bad Copy, a music website, and does PR for bands via Type A Promo. Earlier this year, Kendra started Enough, a podcast where her and her co-host aim to shine light into the darkened corners of the music industry while discussing ways to improve the community when it comes to sexual abuse and assault. In this conversation, we talked about how she started the bad copy, type A promo, enough, and tons more. I do have to warn you, some parts of the episode could be triggering and heavy. Here's my conversation with Kendra on the Keep It Posy podcast. Yay. How are you? All right. I'm all right. How about you? It's nice to meet you. <laughs> Likewise. It's crazy how we know people's names and stuff. And you hear of people, but you don't really get a chance to interact face to face unless, well, I mean, in the age of COVID, now it's this, but. Um, right. Screen to screen. <laughs> but now it's like, or you're like, oh, dude, we should meet up at s- this festival or whatever if you're going to be there and all that. Um, you are a very busy person. Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> a little um, bit. <laughs> and so, I, I, you know, because everybody does what they do in the scene. And then, you know, we have our day jobs. But you have, as far as I know, unless I'm missing something, (laughs) you do your thing with the bad copy and you do PR for bands. And then earlier this year, you started a podcast about a topic that it's a hard thing to talk about, but we do need to talk about it um, because it's, um, I mean, it has to be addressed. It's a thing that has to be addressed. Otherwise, we will not get better as people. Um, Right. So I'm going to start from the beginning because I am (laughs) curious to know, okay, I know why she started the podcast, but, you know, now I'm just wondering how did everything else come about? So, okay, (laughs) you, how 
did you get into music and end up doing everything that you do now? Um, so let's see music. I've always, uh, found that to be kind of the, um, creative outlet, not creative on my side. Cause I'm not very good at it. I'm sure I probably could be if I tried, but I'm one of those people that's like, if I'm not instantaneously, like pretty proficient at something, I'm like, screw it. I'm never doing this. Um, and so I tried music for a while, but it always just seemed like I, I attached very closely to certain lyrics. So I grew up on like nineties alt radio, um, like top 40 stuff. And then like, um, you know, you, I think like everyone in the world kind of is just like born and knows like at least one Nirvana song. So I started to kind of go that way. And then um, I got really into when I was young, if we want to do like a deep, deep dive into this, um, my very first show, I was so into No Doubt and Tragic Kingdom came out and I was like 11, maybe 12, I think younger, I think like 10 or 11. And um, my dad took my friends and I to go see them at this big outside amphitheater. And he had a friend who like got us really great tickets. So we were so excited. And CIV and the Vandals were the openers. And I had no idea like what that even meant. And I was like, I'm here for no doubt. But at 11 years old, I saw the Vandals like running around and screaming like obscenities and like running around in their underwear. And I was just like, what is this? And so then the punk thing kind of got ignited and started. And I got very into like radio pop punk. And then it moved into like, you know, just kind of like the more outreaching, more underground channels. And that just kept happening. Like, you know, consistently as I got older and older, I just found more and more bands and, you know, started realizing that, um, cause when you're young, you're like, there they are all the way over there. Those people that you're, are on a pedestal on a stage. And then when you're, you get older, you're like, wait a second, we're like the same people where you can all just hang out in the same room together. There's not any difference. And so I started working, um, or meeting bands, being close with bands, hanging out with them, kind of helping them get shows and things. Um, I'm from the Midwest, but then I moved out to uh, the Los Angeles area when I was 17 years old um, and stayed out there for about 10 years. So I met a lot of people through that. Um, I helped with um, kind of putting shows together, but also just kind of connecting people and meeting people. Um, I wrote a little bit for a, a magazine out there, like a couple of pieces, no big deal. And then when I came back to Chicago about 10 years later, I started working for um, an online zine. And so that kind of took all my social networking and I started doing interviews and, you know, meeting people, doing reviews, doing even more stuff, getting really into the Chicago scene, which I always loved, but I had just been so removed from it for the past decade. And then there was some big drama with that website. It kind of ended up crashing and burning with like a really kind of sad story about the owner and it passing away. Um, but in the meantime, um, I was dating somebody who is a graphic designer by trade and has done, uh, he builds websites, he codes, he does all of these things. So he's like, let me build you a website. Like you could be doing this yourself. It wouldn't be so hard to, you know, deal with all these other things. Like we could take the entire team you put at this other website and just bring them to your own thing. And you wouldn't have to deal with all the weird politics of someone else's site. It would be yours. And so, um, the idea was that pretty much. And it was more of a community than like, um, previously the other site was like a very much, um, this is my thing and this is how you're all going to act in my website. And so for me, it was like, let's all be part of this together. Like, tell me, give me your input. How do you want to do this? We actually came up with the title, uh, or the name for bad copy while there were like eight or nine of us sitting at like a patio in Chicago with like two people on FaceTimes and being like, what do you think we should call it? Like chugging down beers and just being like, what do you think? And we're just kind of shooting the shit. 
so yeah, so that's kind of how bad copy was born. I always just had, you know, it just, it kind of snowballed into this, this whole thing. And then with the social networking aspect of it, I was like, well, bands have no idea. I love them to death, but they are so bad at promoting themselves so much of the time. And they get screwed by these like big time, you know, companies that are really just doing the bare minimum and charging them just exorbitant amounts of money. And my thought was always like, you know, get these guys what, or people, not just guys, get these people, um, you know, what they need to um, be able to promote themselves, but also like, don't charge everyone an arm and a leg. If they're using their rent money to record their album, like, you know, this is not, this is not like a, you know, break the bank kind of scenario. Like, let's just help out everyone. This is like a, I'll scratch my back or scratch your back, you scratch mine kind of scenario. So that's how I think those two things came about. <laughs> how long has the bad copy been around for? Mm, let's see. I should know this exactly. I know it was April 13th and I want to say it was, ooh, I think it was 2018. So about three, almost going on four years now. Wow. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah, I feel like I see it often on my feed. That's know. awesome. Yay. Um, <laughs> bands promoting or, you know, whether it's a premiere or something. Especially now, I feel like we're going to be seeing more stuff because shows are back. Um, mm -hmm. But that's awesome. And did you, because I know you do uh, photography too. So were you writing first and then you dove into photography? Yeah. So when I was working at that other site, which was called For the Love of Punk or FTLP, it was out of Denver. Um, I was here in Chicago and I kind of paired up with this amazing punk rock photographer. His name is Pat Hodek or Patrick Hodek. He is a little bit older than myself. He's been around forever in the Chicago area and he just takes the most epic, wonderful photos. And so we always work together as a team. And then Patrick moved to Colorado <laughs> to kind of be, not for his own personal things, but he actually got closer to the website and I ended up being here alone <laughs> and not knowing any photographers that were really anywhere near as good as him. So I was like, well, I guess I could, I mean, I used to take photos of shows. I actually, when I was younger, back when like before there were really digital cameras, I used to take, and I actually have it here. If I can grab it, hold on. Let me see if I can find it. Um, if I can't, I'll be so disappointed. Here it is. I had this old camera. I just happened to have this next to me. So I had this old Olympus that like, I'm sure there's no battery. It has like a zoom on it that goes out like this far. I got this camera for years and years ago and it's an old film camera. You actually had to put in like the film and everything. So what I used to do when I would go to shows, big time shows, like stuff where you'd have to like wait outside early at like certain venues, you know, run into the barricade because you want to get first because you know the whole room's going to fill up. And so I would actually, because <laughs> they wouldn't let you have cameras into the venues, but the security guys didn't care. So I would wear two pairs of underwear and I would slide the camera in between the two pairs because they can't patch you down. Or, or there's an issue. And then I would take the film and I would kind of like line it around my stomach. So when they patted you down, they didn't feel anything. And then when I got to the barricade, I'd rip the camera out. I'd have it ready to go to take photos of bands. So I actually was taking photos of bands for a long time, although they weren't very good. And they were usually like jostled because I'm like, got like a million people behind me on a large barricade. 
So I always had an interest in photography. Um, I always had an interest in photographing bands. But when Patrick left, I was like, well, I, I guess I'll try this. And it's a heck of a not like not like a heck of a lot nicer to be on the other side of the barricade where all the people are being smushed and I have a little pathway to take photos. I can tell you that much. But it was a slow process to kind of um, get myself in a place where I felt comfortable with my photos. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just kind of like shooting and praying that something came out okay and just adjusting settings. And I was like, maybe I would take like I think the first couple shows I went to, I would take like seven hundred photos and pull like maybe 30 of them that I thought were okay. And they weren't even that good, but like 700 is a huge amount of photos to take for like a three song per band situation. I was just like literally recording like the entire thing. So it was, it, that was also a process. Yeah. <laughs> but it started out as running, writing, and then it moved into photography. None of us know what we're doing when we're starting off with something. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know, you're all the way out here now. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, I um I can relate as far as having to sneak a camera in. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah, good times. I'm thinking yeah, about totally. it. Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> the memories. <laughs> so you started, you know, you're like, all right, I, I lost my partner here with the photo stuff. So, all right, I'm going to do this. And then. The photography came first or it was the photography and then afterwards you started the bad copy. Yeah. Yeah. I was still working for the website and just kind of doing both. I was like, I'll, I'll write up a review and I'll take the photos. That's fine. Or then I started having other friends who wanted to do the writing and I was like, that's cool. You do that. And then I'll take the photos. So I was just kind of always ready for whatever side I had to do. And then when the website, uh, that other website ended up coming to an end, then bad copy started. And then I was ready to, write and edit and take photos and you know basically do all the ins and outs of trying to get people coverage for shows and get instagram things running like it's there's just a lot um it went from being part of a website to like i didn't realize that even though it's like a group website and we're all in this together there's still like a couple people that are doing like a lot of the work behind the scenes to make sure we're all in this together yeah no it's a lot of work um and I'm sure that you guys get bombarded with things on the daily, your inboxes. Yeah, definitely. I say that because I know that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I can but, tell it's coming from a place of knowledge. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's kind of hard too because I do feel bad sometimes. Because I, I try to read everything. Like last week, I got hit up by someone about five different bands like not press releases they were just like direct hey like uh can you do something with this band and then finally like i think yesterday i was like dude i am so sorry i'll reply to you on everything this week it's been one it's like mm -hmm. it's just been one of those months okay but i mean they also get it that's the nice yeah. thing because because they know that a lot of us this is like our thing outside Extra. of work right um but yeah, anyway, so <laughs> that's like a side thing. But I know you understand. Oh, um, definitely. <laughs> and so you start the bad copy. And then was it what it is now? How has it grown? So 
again, I was very lucky because um, my boyfriend at the time was able to do so much with it. And he has had his job is to build websites for a company. Um, and so he was already kind of aware of like what a rollout for a website should be. So he was like, we need coverage to be on the website in advance. We're not going to open up a website and announce it with absolutely nothing on it. We need a couple show reviews, a couple galleries, you know, an album review, something. So when we open up the website to the public, you can actually see stuff on it and it's not just some blank bullshit. So that was great. Um, having actually something there was wonderful. You know, I think it started out as kind of a thing where the friends knew all about it. And like a lot of local Chicago guys and gals knew all about it. Um, and then also I still have my ties on the West coast. So I had mid like a major part of the Midwest and then also the West coast, the specifically like the like Southern California area covered where people started kind of submitting news requests and Hey, could you review this? And it's all friend stuff. And I would have been doing it for the other website anyway. But then as it started to grow, we started getting more contributors and I was able to kind of start vetting people like, and I started moving away from the day-to-day -day role of like micromanaging the hell out of everything, which is kind of my like MO for pretty much anything I do. Um, Cause that's just my personality type. But uh, so I, you know, other people started taking on more responsibilities. They started taking on some of these things. We started getting crews for like, I remember when we submitted our application for Riot Fest and I had covered Riot Fest for the other website. And the day that we got our like confirmation email, I was at my job and I just went, yes. And like everyone looked at me like, what the hell's going on? I was like, we got it. We got it. And I like walked out and just walked out and I just took, I get phone calls. I called everyone that was part of it. And I was like, we're going to Riot Fest. We're covering it this way. We're doing these things. Like, and so I, I called my mom. Um, and the same thing for Fest. I mean, anytime we get anything, even now when we're a little bit more established and like this year, like we, we got coverage for Riot Fest. We got coverage for Fest. But unfortunately, because of COVID, we weren't able to make it. And that's always kind of a, an issue of concern where you're like, if I don't do it this year, are you going to let me in next year? Like, I'm really sorry. But I think at this point, you know, with, with the crew that we have, with the work that we've been doing, um, you know, we're consistent. We put out, you know, as much as we possibly can, we do the best we possibly can. And the thing that kind of the mentality that I've talked to everyone I know on the, the website about is like when it comes to reviews and things, you know, again, kind of the same MO, if you're using your rent to make your album, don't drag these guys through the dirt. Like if you don't like their album, just leave it alone. Don't review it, you know, find something that you really like or something that, you could like give some critique to in like a somewhat constructive way. I mean, don't just pick up something that you know you're going to hate. Like I hate skate punk. Okay. Let me review this. This sucks. I hate skate punk. Like that's not a good review. <laughs> so I think, you know, consistency and quality has always been um, one of the things we focused on and we've had options to get a lot bigger, a lot faster, but I've just kind of chosen to stay not small, but just where we are to maintain some sort of, like realm of consistency because there are some sites out there where when you get to their website you can't even tell what's on that page you don't know how to find anything you can't navigate things and we didn't want to grow too big too quickly we'd rather have it be more of kind of like a you know homogenous thing as we kind of work together it was very holistic as we moved forward as a group and if we got more people great and if we didn't okay i mean we're still going to put out the best possible thing we can yeah. That was a lot of words for that question. I'm sorry. No, it's, it's, all, it's all good. Um, how many contributors contributors are there now? COVID's knocked a bunch of them out. Like, 
it's just been really weird because we, we had a pretty solid crew for a while. And what I've noticed from this website and the other one that I worked on, people will come and go and they'll go through ebbs and flows of being productive and contributing to the site. And then they'll go dark for a few months because the thing that on the managerial side of the website is a problem, but on just the, you know, social side is just human nature is that we all have other things going on. I mean, this is a website in which this is everyone's passion project. They write these things, they post these news articles, they write these reviews and listen to these albums because they love these bands or they support these labels or they want to get, you know, the good word about this really amazing band they just found out out there. And sometimes, you know, you have situations with school or life or rent or job or kids, family, whatever. And that just needs to take precedent over writing a review of an album. So with before I said, I think we probably would have had about 20 consistent contributors. And now with COVID, we're down to, you know, people submit when they feel like it. It's a lot of me doing a lot of stuff right now, but it's just because everyone's at such a strange place and they have been for the last so many months. Like it's just been, you know, there's no show. So we've lost most of our photographers. I mean, they're, they're sitting waiting for things to come back. And now that it's starting to kick back in, people are starting to kind of, you know, wake up to all of this and be like, Hey, can we submit some things? Could I get into the show? And same thing with the the album reviews. You know, there wasn't a lot of albums coming out. I mean, people just kind of were at a standstill. And people who had albums come out, those poor bands that had albums come out, right, like a month or two after COVID hit is just, I feel so much for them because they couldn't do anything with it for like 18 months. Like now they're maybe able to tour on something short term and safely for an album they put out, which they probably written like 90 more songs since then. I mean, it's like old news to them at this point. Yeah. Um, and to add on to what you said about how now with shows coming back, even then everybody that would want to go to a show can't necessarily mm-hmm. because maybe they have kids and if they want right. to be vaccinated, maybe they're still not in that age range to get vaccinated or, right. you know, they had to pick up another job or, you know, whatever the case could be, but well, the cash flow is just low. Yeah. They couldn't, they lost their job and they couldn't do anything. You know, there's, there's so many situations that are happening now. Yeah. It's a bummer, but I am feeling hope. I don't want to say optimistic, but I'm feeling <laughs> hopeful yes. that we'll be better a year from now. I hope. So you you have the bad copy. You do that. You guys are doing your thing. When did you start doing PR for bands? I know the first band I did PR for, but I don't remember when that started. I would say probably like probably around the same time, maybe around I think bad copy had already launched, so I pro- I think I want to say probably around like I was thinking about it in 2017 and I started working on it in like fall of 2018 and bad copy was out there in the world in April of 2017 or 18. So it was, it was a little bit after cause I remember buying all the domain names around the same time. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so it was, you know, within like six months or so, maybe to a year. Who was your first band? The Eradicator. Ah, okay. Yeah. Sick. And then um, <laughs> what other bands have you uh, done PR for? Um, let's see. 
uh, Four Lights, which is a band out of Seattle, uh, Square Crow, some guys I know from San Diego, um, Decent Criminal. I've worked with, let's see, right now I have a pretty, pretty hefty roster of bands, more than ever before. Um, Jason Paul and the Know-It-Alls, Coma Twins, Acceptor, um, working with Raptors out of LA right now. They're awesome. There's been a lot. They're all, I mean, they're all like people, like bands you would know if you've been to festivals. You've seen their names on festivals before. You might not know them one-on-one, but it's those kind of like hidden gem bands that like, you know, hopefully you'll love them. I do. (laughs) You do the bad copy. Mm -hmm. You do PR. And this year you started a podcast called enough it's not an easy thing for people to talk about and even those that haven't been victims when they hear about it it's one of those things that they're just like okay yeah it's they even have a hard time because it's it you know it's triggering it's polarizing it's it's so many things or you know sometimes they just know people that they're close to that were victims themselves and it's just like all right this is actually more common than we think, unfortunately. How, how did the conversation come about with the co- your co-host to start the podcast? So I had the idea a while back. I, I was just, with, co- with COVID and stepping away from, like, because I would go to shows, like, four to five, six shows a week, maybe. I mean, I was always out. At night, I would go to a show. I mean, like we talked about, they're, they're every single night in Chicago. They're every single night in LA. There's always something to do and someone's opening somewhere or one of your friends is doing something. So you might as well go. And having that break because of COVID, I was like, well, now what the hell do I do with all my time? Jesus, I've got so much free time. Like my whole night is like, mm. And I started doing other things, other hobbies, nothing to do with music. And that gave me the space to kind of think about some of the issues that I've had and some of the like disgruntlement I've had with the music scene in general. Cause I'm getting to the point where I'm, I'm 35 right now. I've been doing this for, I feel like as long as I can remember my first show, I was 10. I mean, and I saw the vandals. I, you could say I've been doing this for 25 years. I mean, to some people that's nothing to some people it's a lot, but to me it feels like almost a lifetime. And I've been very different people throughout all of this time. I've had my own situations in the music scene. I know that there's so, so, I mean, everyone knows stories. Everyone's heard things and being in this kind of social network of knowing people through PR and knowing people through bands and going to shows and being a female, you know, people have talked to me, people I don't even really know. And I started ending up kind of feeling like I was harboring all these different stories from people, uh, men, women, non-binary people, everything. I mean, it, and they just, it kept growing. And so with, with the space from COVID, I was thinking, you know, why do I even want to do this? Like, why do I want to be part of this anymore? This is a situation that is ongoing. People know about these things and they don't give a shit. Like, what do I even want to connect with these people? Or do I want to take this chance in which I've, we've all kind of ghosted each other because of COVID? Should I just stay away when the world starts back up and not do this again? Um, and I came to the idea that I was like, nah, screw it. Like, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to stand my fucking ground and I'm going to be here on behalf of these people. And I think that they should be able to come forward and speak should they feel like they want to, because I know women specifically, I'm just going to speak of women at this point 
um, cause that's the only people we've had on the podcast at this point in time. Um, and most of the victims are, you know, survivors tend to be women, not all, but some, a lot. I know so many women who have these stories and so many of them want to share, but they don't know how they don't want to do it on Facebook. They're scared of the backlash, but there's this whisper network where they'll tell me and they'll tell me to tell other people to not support this band or we'll all talk or there's, you know, check text, text chats or email chains or all these other things where these conversations are being had behind closed doors. I think we need to bring them out in the open with the me too movement happening. Like, there's no reason that the punk scene, which is supposed to be light years ahead in regards to, you know, ingenuity and acceptance and, you know, being open and accepting people into this counterculture should be failing behind the rest of the world in regards to sexual assault. So I decided that I was going to do this. It kind of just came to me that it was going to become a podcast. I, I just didn't know what to do. I needed to do something. And, it, and then I decided it was going to be a podcast. And then my friend Rich, um, who lives up in Minneapolis, who I met through um, actually the, the uh, partner that I had at the time um, through Bad Copy who had made the website. Um, he was one of Rich's very good friends, or I'm sorry, yeah, so they were very good friends. I met him through that. And so Rich at the time um, was helping a lot of women um, up in Minneapolis where he lives with accusations um, in regards to a musician up there, Harmar Superstar. Um, and then there was a lot of stuff in regards to rhyme sayers, um, and yeah, atmospheres label and a number of DJs and, um, artists that they have on that label. There was Minneapolis around the time of George Floyd was having a huge musical reckoning as well. And Rich was being there as an ally to support all of these people that were coming out. And they were just, I mean, it's like the music world up there was just burning. It was on fire. So I was using him as a sounding board because he's maintaining and growing all this additional experience dealing with survivors and seeing these things firsthand and people were confiding in him because he had, you know, kind of a situation like I did where, you know, people would just found him to be like a reputable character and would reach out to him about things. So we started speaking about this. I had told him about it. He was coaching me kind of some ideas about the podcast in general. And I just froze for like three months. I couldn't do anything. And I knew I had a checklist of items I had to do and I just couldn't do them. So one day I was like, do you want to help me co-host this thing? I don't think I can do this by myself. And for me, again, the way that I function, I am like 100% DIY, do it myself. Like no one else has to be part of it if they don't want to be. So coming to, to him and just being like, you know, please help me out with this was really like, it, it took so much off of me and I was able to kind of lean on him a little bit because I was just so scared I still am. I'm shaking right now talking about it. Doing this podcast is absolutely horrifying. And like people come at you and all we're trying to do, I mean, they're shooting the messenger for sure. I mean, we're dealing with a situation in the last couple of days where like the internet's been like unfurled upon both Rich and I about a podcast or episode that we had, you know, months ago, but I would never be able to have done this without him. So I reached out to him. He was a hundred percent on board. And so he and I, and then also the graphic designer partner named David um, is now the three piece where the three of us are working on it together. So David does all of the editing. He's built us the website, same as bad copy. Um, and then Rich and I are the, the face of the whole thing. We're co-hosting and kind of dealing with the ins and outs of the interviews and getting, you know, people, um, you know, reaching out to people, seeing if they're interested in talking, you know, um, prepping them, you know, in regards to our, our preparation is not really a prep. It's more like 
let's talk off the record about what's going on with you. So when we talk on the record, you're not triggered by things and we're not going to overstep any boundaries. And I know exactly what you don't want to discuss. So that's kind of how Rich got involved. Long, 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 long story short. (laughs) The part where you talk about how you froze for about three months because you're like, Oh, DIY, like, you know, I got to do it, you know, (laughs) but now that I know how that came about, for me, I've, I'm kind of seeing a pattern where it feels like it helps when you have people by your side. The pattern that I'm seeing, it's like you have a male, cis male by your side who's helping you out, you know, in getting the stories out of these victims. And I'm seeing the, a similarity when you had the situation with George Floyd where everybody, it didn't matter who you were, everybody right. was out there. And, and I mean, you, we saw footage of, of white allies getting in front in between police officers and yeah. the black community. And it's like, yeah, dude, like if you want to get to them, you're going to have to get through us. So now it's like, It's like, hold on a second, like, he's a dude, and he's also listening, and he's trying to Mm -hmm. call the rest of you guys out. And so I've I've been noticing that, like, yeah, there's more guys being vocal about it, and it's one of those things where, like, okay, um, there. I mean, who was it? Someone earlier on this week on Twitter said something about, like, dude, if you're fed up with hearing about victims and, and their stories, imagine being them. Like having to live through that trauma all the time. Exactly. So I'm sure it's not easy hearing them share their stories. And I'm also sure it's not easy getting all these messages from people like, (laughs) you know, downplaying it and and calling them liars or whatever. But yeah, um, that's, I think that's the hardest part really for me is like, for me, it's, it's seeing them attack people that are already, you know, they have these gaping emotional wounds that they're trying to heal and people are coming after them being like, you're just a slut though. Like, what? Is that what you got? Really? I mean, it's, it's unfortunate that there's so much of this ingrained in our culture. I really think that we're at a point where hopefully, you know, in, in the next 10 years, I'm being hopeful the the norm will be when somebody comes out and says something it won't be show us the paperwork let's see the rape kit it'll be holy shit that's terrible how can we help you through your trauma you know it's it's not going to be an instantaneous like you better prove this type of situation i hope that soon the music community will start reversing these roles i i'm seeing it more and more but it's i mean we are pulling teeth on some of these scenarios, it's, it's going to take a while. And I think it's because of the way that, you know, so many people, but specifically men are, you know, targeted in our culture. They have to be tough. They have to do these things. Women are seen as these, you know, um, prizes to win. I mean, and then you mix in drugs and alcohol and emotional punk rock based trauma, you know, there's, it's a bad concoction. And that's why I think it's so prevalent in general everywhere, but also in our scene, we've got a lot of, of, unhealed trauma from our childhoods, our parents, you know, all of the, as everyone does, but also it seems like we have a lot more of it in our area. 
you just reminded me about how like people come out and say like prove it yada 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 i mean even out in the mainstream uh the the person that i was thinking about was brett kavanaugh yep and you know when dr christine ford came out and you know she testified and can we just like for once set aside the fact whether you want this guy on the court or not and think about right what what he did was wrong and right it, it kind of reminded me um in the first interview that you guys did about how people like i know it sucks but if a band messed up and they did that like are you still gonna listen to them and i think it was you who mentioned brand new like as soon as that whole thing went out there. I'm like, okay, I'm done with you guys. I'm sorry. I don't think I could do this, man. It's hard. Cause again, like lyrics is what got me into music. I have a degree in writing. I went to school for English. I have a degree in creative writing. Like music is to me, it's words with some stuff in the background. Like that's what it is to me. I mean, good for you bassists and drummers and everyone else. I'm not focusing on that. I'm focusing on the words. I'm sorry, but like, that's just me. And so when you have someone like, you know, like with a brand new situation or Ryan Adams, you know, these bands, these artists where they've written these things and you go back to it, it's really hard, at least from a lyrical point of view, to listen to that and not just deep cringe. Because like, there's so much that, I mean, even if they never consciously wrote about the things that were going on because they didn't think they were issues or, you know, they didn't see them that way. The subconscious is a fuck of a thing. And you can tell in some of these lyrics that their brain knows what they did. And these situations are being documented and they're being commented on in their own lyrics. And it's really hard to listen to those things again after you know all of the allegations and the stories that have come out about them. Yeah, no, it's um, it's hard. Um, and if it's a band you love, it's mm -hmm. like breaks your heart in half i yeah um but i um i commend you guys for doing that because it has to be hard on all the parties i i can only imagine um hearing the stories but then also getting all that backlash it keeps the day going <laughs> i uh thank you for doing that and thank and you. um I know it's not easy, but it's it's appreciated because uh, I know for people that for victims it's hard, but I hope that more of them um, I hope those that have been affected come out, and I hope there's less victims or eventually yeah. no victims at all in the future. Like that's yeah. the hope. Um, it's it's a cultural change. It's going to yeah. take time, but. Just like, you know, when the whole thing came about with the podcast, when I was talking about this oh, with anyone before Rich was really directly involved as the co-host, I kept saying like, who the fuck would want to listen to a podcast about sexual assault? Like no one's going to want to listen to me talk to people about this or ask them questions about these really terrible triggering situations. Like, and no one's going to want to talk to me about their situations. Like, why would I even want to do this? And then I started thinking about like, mental health podcasts are all over the place. People talk very openly about their schizophrenia, their bipolar disorder, deep-seated depression. And now mental health is becoming so much less of a stigma. I mean, look at where we are right now in 2021 compared to even like 2015. I mean, I openly speak to my coworkers about depression. 
No one did that in 2015. I didn't do that. I know a lot of people didn't do that. Maybe it's Midwest repression, but like LA is a little bit different. You guys are a little bit more open. I know, but like, you know, it's just not the same. There's, there's an obvious like national change. I think it's a world change and, and it's because people decided to talk about these things openly. They took a stand and they said, I'm going to talk about these things. Mental health is nobody's fault, but it is your responsibility. It's so, you know, let's bring this to the forefront. It's the same thing with sexual assault. Like it's not your fault, but now you are responsible to take care of yourself and the things that have happened to you, you know? And, and there's so many times where, I mean, assault is, it's almost like it's, you know, passed down in a lineage because it happens to you. You end up doing these things to other people. That's human nature until you realize what's going on and you're able to stop that behavior from replicating itself on other relationships of yours there's a likelihood that you're going to repeat the things that have happened to you because they're your experiences and they're your trauma. So getting this out there and talking about this openly, I hope gives people while exceedingly uncomfortable. And I, I applaud every single person who's ever even listened to the podcast. Cause I honestly didn't think that we would get anyone to ever listen to it besides like me. My mom won't listen to it. She also doesn't like podcasts, but like she doesn't listen to it. Um, but, uh, you know, anyone who's just taken the time to listen to and sit and listen to these people, these survivors tell their stories, um, anyone who, I mean, so many, unfortunately, so many people have had situations of abuse in some way or another, be it domestic violence or sexual abuse. Um, I have my own stories and there are these times in the interviews that we do that come out where like, not that we're sitting there doubting anyone. But it's just these moments where you just know what they're saying is so deep and so true. And I hope that comes across in the podcast because I think those are the things that people who have abused people and don't realize it or people who don't think that abuse is an issue really need to listen to. Because I think these hu humanistic features, and that's part of why we do it in the video as well, is that looking at somebody's face when they're recounting the story is very heartbreaking. Your face tells a lot whether you want it to or not. The windows are the eyes and all that. I just hope that it is even a minuscule step in the right direction where it, somewhere down the line, we won't have to have these conversations because these things won't be common factors in not only our music scene, but in just day-to-day -day life. It happens everywhere. This last bit also reminded me of Simone Biles and you know this past summer and yeah. she was vocal about it and of course people were like you know doing what they like to do judge and gaslight but yeah. it felt like more people there were there were more people applauding her versus had it happened you know at the last olympics i was like dude you've been through a lot like you know do what you have to do yeah it just exactly yeah and you know she i think she's an example of someone who's like like what you said um taking care of herself because she's had her share of experiences as well 100 um, percent. that's I what mean, she she needed to do and she did it and she should not be faulted for that yeah it's just it's this is some heavy stuff um so it's just I mean, it's, it's a situation where we're, I think now, especially with the younger generations are at a point where like, if you're in a bad job, leave it. If you're in a bad relationship, fuck it, get out, 
Like you don't, you need to take care of yourself. And it's interesting because in punk rock, you're like, drink beers, do drugs, fucking party. Like, is that taking care of yourself? I don't know. I thought it was like, hmm. Um, it can be, I guess self, you know, self-care could be like chugging down a 12 rack. I don't know. <laughs> it just depends on how you look at it and how that really is like handling, you know, what you need to deal with. But there's, there's so much repression and there's so much, you know, not really listening to what you need. And there's so much exterior pressure where, you know, it, like for her, for example, like she did what she had to do and she got a backlash because she's trying to take care of her mental and physical health it's now come to kind of the forefront that mental health is physical health. Your brain is very much attached to the rest of your body. So like this all kind of connects. So you can't be separating the two and she's trying to take care of herself. She's an athlete. The athleticism that anyone who's actually like a sports star has to, you know, engage in is huge. To be an Olympian is like that cranked up a million times. She needs to take care of herself and she's under pressures that most people would never understand. And I think, you know, when you were talking about like the gaslighting and, you know, people going after, these are the people that like sit around, you know, they go to their job and they come home and maybe they, you know, are active and engaging, you know, this or that. Maybe they go to school, but they're sure as shit not Olympians. So you don't know what she's dealing with. So back the fuck off with your judgmental bullshit. Like you don't know what these people are going through. Everyone has their own path and their own traumas and their own body and their sicknesses and their health, all of that. Just let people do what they think is right when it comes to like their own personal body, when it comes to these type of things. And I was going to say too, um, I think the same thing, uh, Michael Phelps had a similar situation and I don't remember him getting that much back or any backlash at all. And if there was, it was like not as bad. And I'm like, is mm -hmm. it because she's a woman? Are we going to go into mm -hmm. that subject again? Because I, I don't know how many times we're going to have to discuss that. It, you think at this point we would be done with it. Uh -huh. I mean, we're all done with it. Why is no one else done with it? There's no reason to go after one, a male, and then not, or to go after a female and not go after the male. I mean, don't go after either. These are people who are making their own decisions. And you were right. I remember that with Michael Phelps. Like there was a little bit of blowback. Maybe the word disappointment was like thrown around, but nothing like we saw this last summer. Let's, yes. let's keep it posy around here, okay? <laughs> That's right. Um. <laughs> I, um, like I said, I applaud you and Rich for doing what you guys are doing because it's not an easy thing, uh, to do, to hear these stories. And I, I mean, of course it's not, it, it can't be easy for those that are going on the podcast to talk about it. I mean, I'm shaking just like thinking about it. I've, you know, cause Unfortunately, I, I think we know everyone in our life. If we haven't been victims ourselves, we do know people that unfortunately yes. have been on that end of, of the situation. So it really makes you mad, you know, yeah. that this is still, that this is a thing and it, it just. <laughs> I know. It's just, I know. <laughs> it's disappointing, but I'm glad that people are coming out and being vocal about it. And then, if it ends up being a band that you like, well, you know what, dude, you know what you have to do, man. It sucks, but, um, I mean, and we all have done dumb shit 
I mean, we've all gone through our teens or our 20s or whatever age you're at. Like, whatever, like, decade it was before where you're at currently is like, oh, God. Like, I can't believe I did those things. And, you know, I'm not the person that I was five years ago. I'm not the person that I was 10 years ago. And I think that's a good thing. But, you know, and I, I feel like there's, you know, one of the things that Rich and I always talked about is like, we're not into canceling people. We don't bring up the band's names. We tell the survivors specifically that we will not be speaking names of the person that they're speaking of, nor the band, because this is a survivor centric podcast. It's not about these people and it's not pointing people out and saying, this is who it was. It's about the situation that they had to go through. And I want to hear their story. And I want to know the hurdles that they had to overcome because of these things in an attempt to educate the listener about the intense amount of trauma that other humans' actions can cause on people. Um, so we're all better educated on basically trying to be better. I've done dumb, fucked up shit. A hundred percent. Rich and I have talked about this openly on the podcast. I've done dumb, fucked up shit in the presence of Rich. We've been very stupid and drunk and said and done terrible things like, not terrible, but like, you know, just stupid 20-year-old stuff. And you grow up from that. We're not into canceling anyone, but we are into accountability. You know, we think that everyone should be held accountable for their actions and they get the opportunity to grow and to change. And there's so many bands out there that over the past so many years that have come forward or members of bands where they're like, yeah, so I stopped drinking. I'm in AA, um, really making some changes. Where's your apology to the victim? Are you doing other things? You know, are you going through therapy for your trauma? Like hold yourself accountable to these things. And again, there's a hundred percent room for growth and change. You know, just because somebody did this, don't strike them off the face of the earth. We're not asking for that. We're not demanding that. And that's not the MO of the podcast at all. I, I think that the, the survivors need to be taken seriously. This, this is a plague. I mean, when it comes to, to our music scene, to music in general, I mean, Bob Dylan just got out. We got Marilyn Manson. We got Kanye bringing out Marilyn Manson in Chicago. Like, what is even going on here? And why are we giving all of these people consistent, outs for their behavior you know be accountable for what you're doing and you know you'll be able to move forward this is you know transformative and restorative justice are the two things that we talk very much about in one of the episodes um i think that you know there there are things that everyone can do to better themselves and i think that you know so many people i think in this music scene from what i've seen so many of my friends like we're all growing up i mean everyone that i you know started this thing with so many years ago is at a very different place than they were when I met them. And thankfully, because that means that someone's actually moving forward with their lives. And with these new experiences, be it buying a house or starting a family, having a kid, moving across the country, you know, whatever it is, comes, you know, the education of that experience, more maturity, and just kind of broadening your world that other people are part of it. And I think so many times in these stories of abuse, it is that, you know, it, it's not a sexual thing, usually, for these situations. It's a power thing. Someone needs to feel powerful in their own skin. And so they do these things to other people. And I feel like, you know, the more that we're able to grow and learn about ourselves, then you realize the things that are happening to you, the traumatic things, aren't your fault. They are things that happen to you, not because you did something wrong. I'm off on a crazy tangent. But anyway, I mean... <laughs> No, it's all good. Um, I get it. Trust me. It's uh it's a hard topic to talk about in like a tangible way because 
there's so many sides to it. It's like one of those Dungeons and Dragons dice that always has like a million sides and you never know what's going to come up. Like there's so many different ways to talk about this. You can talk about it, you know, on a um, emotional side, a physical side, mental side. Are you talking from the survivor's point of view? Is it a person who's been abused, who's actually abused other people and is trying to repent? I mean, there's so many different ways to look at these things. And that's why Rich and I talked about kind of angling the survivor as the center of the podcast they're the star of it that he and i are there to kind of just keep things on track a little bit and kind of make sure that the conversation moves forward but this is basically a platform where they're able to speak their truth because they need that catharsis and thankfully you know despite all of the crazy weirdos in my dms that i don't even know that talk about how dare i this and this um we, you know, when those people speak openly, we get a lot of positive feedback, not only from the people that are on the podcast, but other listeners who have gone through similar things. And everyone, the word that keeps getting thrown around is like, you know, it's very cathartic, uh, it's a catharsis or it's cathartic to them, or that, you know, it's just really like a, been a healing process for them. I think speaking on a, on a platform where you feel like, you know, you're out there. It's not typing it up on Facebook. It's that your voice and your, you know, your figure, everything is out there. It's like you talking to as many people as want that want to listen to this. So I think there's a healing aspect to that from what everyone has said. And if a million people want to come at me and be mad because a band that they love to death got outed, but one person says, thank you for doing that. I'm not stopping. I'll blow up my Facebook instead. I don't care. <laughs> Well, there it is. That's, um, <laughs> I mean, that's why you do it, right? That's why bands write music. If it touches one person or if say, if it saves one person's yes. life or if, um, I think that's with anything anyone could do that. Right. If you're helping a person. All right, dude, my work here is done. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I. That's awesome. I hope you guys keep doing it. I know that it must be stressful sometimes because you guys get all the all the nasty <laughs> messages. I'm sure, but it's nice to see that you guys are also getting the messages, um, and feedback from people that are like, "Dude, like I had no idea," or, yeah. you know, I went through something similar. Um, you know, whatever the situation could be, and it's not an easy subject to talk about and it's not an easy thing to hear the stories but it must but be done one day it will be an easier subject to talk about yeah. the more we have conversations the easier hopefully it'll get just like mental health fingers yeah, crossed. and then <laughs> hopefully we'll be able to eradicate it because that would right. be nice dude Awesome. I'm glad you guys are doing that. Thank you. And it, I was not prepared for the first episode, but I was like, dude, you already know <laughs> that this is a thing. Just go listen because it's got to be done if we want to get better. Right. Um, and with every episode we do, I don't know if I want to say fortunately or unfortunately here, other people have come out. So it's not just a one and done scenario. There's not any episode that we've put out there that somebody has not written to us and said, I know who this is. This happened to me as well, or this situation happened to me, or I saw this person do this. So this is to everyone who 
is listening, this is not like a, you know, one person, what if someone comes on and lies about something? The, the stories are there, the backup is there. This is not, not that you shouldn't believe one person when they tell you anyway, but the likelihood that someone who's done this um, once and never again is very slim. And having someone come on the podcast who is so, these people are so brave and so strong to do this and to come out and speak their truth and recount what was probably one of the scariest, most horrifying days, weeks, months, depending on the situation, you know, of their lives. And you really, and really relive that. And then, you know, be that brave and then have an army of people come behind them and say, me too, just like, you know, me too. Um, It's, it's exceedingly helpful um, to support these survivors. Not only if you have experienced the same thing with, you know, the, the person in question or people in question, but just with your general experiences or just to support them because these people need support. I, I don't know that anyone really understands how fucking fragile all of these people are at these moments of telling their truths like this. I mean, you can, it's palpable through the zoom screen and we're miles and miles apart. Like it's, you just want to reach and just give everyone like a giant hug and be like, I'm so sorry. I wish I was in the room with you. Any support that you can give them, um, whatever that means to you is it means more to them than you ever think it probably could because they are living in a world inside their head that they've been victimized, they've been gaslit either by other people or themselves because of the way that culture is. Anything you can do to possibly support these people or just say, hey, I heard your story. I'm here for you. Be it on the podcast or just in regular life if someone shares this with you. I mean, there's, there's no, we've said this before, there's no handbook on how to handle these things. But I guess the general rule is kind of like, if this, the situation was reversed, what is the best case scenario for you? I mean, kindness is usually the best thing to do. You know, be receptive to what's going on. You may have never had anyone, you know, you never heard stories like this before. Maybe no one's ever shared these things with you. So it'd be hard to put yourself in that position, but just be as kind and caring and supportive as you possibly can because they really need it. And an inch goes a mile with these people when they're in this fragile state. Yeah. Uh, man, I'm going to start crying now. Um, no, don't cry. No. I'm going to come through and hug you. Oh, um, no. no, I, um, I, I, no, that was nicely put. Cause sometimes, um, I mean, shoot people you probably work with have had a similar experience and you don't even know it. Cause it's like, it's such a thing where people are scared. Am I going to get judged or, exactly. um, you know, it's one of those things. Will I lose things, my job? You know, will I lose my job? Or like even teenagers, like they're scared about telling their parents because depending oh, yeah. on how they've been raised, they might, you know, I don't know, get questioned like, well, mm-hmm. what were you wearing? And like, how many times have I told you? Be careful. Right. Like it's their fault. Yeah, you guys are doing an awesome thing. I know it's not, um, you know, the backlash is not <laughs> easy to deal with. I'm sure some days, but, um, you guys are doing an awesome thing and you, you said it, you're not sure if it's unfortunate or fortunate that people are coming out with their stories, but, um, 
it's, it's being talked about more, I guess. Yeah, it's unfortunate because I don't want anyone to have to deal with this, but it's fortunate in the way that when you have these people that pave the way, then other people feel comfortable. They're they're not the trailblazers themselves. They they need a lot of people need someone else to step up and kind of, you know, cast the light into the shadow. They don't want to do it themselves. They have their own issues, they have their own, you know, fears and their traumas and you know personal histories but they need someone to kind of take that first step and we're so lucky that there are so many people that are so strong that are able to do that and everyone is able to rally behind them um to do that and and, and in doing so other people are able to come forward again you know the more people that come forward the more this is publicized the more we talk about this openly the less of a thing it's going to be, the less of a stigma it's going to be. The more things that we know about it, the more things we can look for in advance. When we have that kind of open conversation, that's like our little handbook with the deodorant and everything else from when you were a kid. I mean, we need to have these conversations with women, um, with everyone, but when they're young, let's talk about what grooming is. Like, let's, let's talk about that so people are safe. We, I didn't even know what gaslighting was. I think, I honestly think a bad relationship of mine might have invented the term gaslighting. But I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure that like I might have co-invented gaslighting by accident because um, there was so much of that in that relationship that like I'm pretty sure it was us. But I didn't know that wasn't a terminology that was really utilized on a regular basis. Same thing with grooming. I mean, all of these things came into regular vocabulary in a shortened period of time and they will continue and we will learn new words. And just as the words are becoming everyday commentary, then the thought processes will follow. It will take some time, but we're going to get there as long as these conversations stay consistent and open. We can't go back to the way it was before because that means just moving on and not doing anything about it. I think that people are going to refuse to go back to the way. I mean, we've if you look at the overall like historical timeline of um, like women's rights in general or women's um, movement forward, just, you know, in, in U.S. society, there have been huge pushes and then kind of little lags here and there. You know, things kind of settle down for a while and then something big will happen again. And, you know, things are always brewing under the surface. It's not always big momentous explosions here and there. But I feel like there's a lot less moments of silence or a lot fewer moments of silence in the past so many years compared to the kind of, you know, dips down that they had that you saw, you know, somewhere in the middle of the 90s or in the 80s, you know, things would happen and then they'd be quiet. We have consistently had, and it's part of the 24-hour news cycle, we've consistently had updates on you know, the people in Hollywood, the musicians, women getting assaulted, trans people getting murdered. I mean, there is a nonstop news cycle that's letting us know that this is still happening. You can't hide from these things and you can't hide from the news about these things. So I feel like with that somewhat anxiety ridden 24 hours news cycle, it's actually kind of aiding us in a way to keep the momentum going because we're staying angry and we're staying aware of what's going on. So we don't have those moments of silence. We don't have those lag periods. It's, it's going to be consistent. It's going to happen a lot sooner. And I don't think that we're ever going to be able to go back. I think that door has been slammed shut and locked and we are just moving forward. It just depends on how fast we get there. Yeah, no, we, you're right. It's, uh, and there's a lot going on. Sometimes it almost feels like it's another job. Cause you're just like, dude, what am I, <laughs> what topic am I going to go and, and read about today and try to tackle? Cause 
it's a panic anytime like my news <laughs> alert goes off on my phone i'm like oh god now what could it be oh no it's one uh, out of five things every time <laughs> it's tough man but um but i'm positive that we'll get there and hopefully by the time it's our time to leave uh we won't be this won't be the stigma won't be there but this right situation will be in a much better place because um i agree yeah yeah we have to um yeah we don't have a choice <laughs> yeah no exactly we're not going back dude um nope <laughs> what would you say is your favorite thing about music hmm there's two things. I'm going to give you two because I can't choose which one. The connections that you make with other people, be it you alone in your room listening to an album and making a connection with the person who wrote either that guitar riff or that lyric or whatever, you know, your musical drug of choice may be. Um, and then also going to, you know, shows, to concerts. Like when I was younger, I was going to concerts in Chicago and I would meet people in line. We'd be standing outside, you know, six hours before the show opened or whatever. And I kept this folder and we'd write down our email because, you know, I'm going to date myself. Email was like kind of up and coming still at that point. So I'd be like, how do I contact you? Here's my AIM account or here's my AIM name and here's my email. And so I kept this folder on me where it would be basically just like a ratty piece of paper by the, you know, within like a year. If I didn't transfer everything over, no one could tell what the hell anything said. But I would have people like sign their names and, you know, kind of, keep in touch with people. And now with Facebook and everything else, it's so much easier. Um, so I think the, the connections that you make are amazing. And I think the other thing is there's a moment when you go to a live show and you're excited to see a band, or maybe you've never heard of them before, but you're just like really fucking digging them. And you're like, damn, these guys are good. I can't believe I never knew about them before. And there's this moment at like every show I've ever been to where you feel it. It's this weird, like almost like a click where you're like, this is it. Like, this is what it's like to be alive. This is why I do things. And this is why I do this stuff for music and why I help people. You watch people singing and they're so excited and they're singing along with the band and the people in the front know all the words. And if you're standing in the back and you're like, I don't know this band, but you can see how happy they are. And you know that everyone is in this room at this exact moment having the exact same experience, you know, they might be drunk, they might be sober, it's a little bit different, but they're having the same experience by watching this band give everything they've got. And it's just such an important, I think, humanistic connection where you're, you're taking in someone else's art and it, and it means it's, it's a shared experience that as soon as it gets inside of you or anyone, it's so different in here than what is out there because it like it's like having you know a band member write a lyric and then i listen to it and i'm like holy shit that's totally about me like i know that's about me and then you meet someone from the opposite side of the country at like fest for example and you're there at fest and you're seeing that band and you're singing along to that lyric and you look at this person who's from australia and you're like that's lyrics about me and they're like no it's about me and then you have this great conversation afterwards so like it's this weird connection moment that I think happens at every show that I've ever been to where, and again, I guess it kind of ties into the first part, which is this, this 
art that brings people together that means something completely different for everyone there, but you're all sharing the exact same moment in this very humanistic connection. And no one ever realizes it because everyone's usually drunk, but like I realize it. So. <laughs> I, yeah, no, we've all had those moments where you're um, at a gig and you're like, dude, they're singing my jam. And then it's the same thing. I'm going to butcher this quote, but when I've said it before on the podcast, when Dave girl has said that you could sing a song in front of 10,000 people and they'll be seeing it back for 10,000 reasons or something. Yes. And it's yeah. like, yeah, dude, like, because we forget about the, 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 whatever it is we're dealing with in our lives. We go into that room Right. Or, you know, that outdoor field, wherever you're at, and you're just like, dude, we're doing this. Let's go. Right. That is so sick. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think so dude. too. <laughs> um, dude, heck yeah. And it's even better too when, I mean, of course, when your friends are there, but when you and a bunch of strangers start seeing it together, it's like, yeah. Yeah, um, it's it's like this weird moment where you're like, I don't even know you. And they're like, it doesn't matter. We know this one common thing. And you're like, now we're best friends. <laughs> that's so sick. How do you keep a posse? I drink a lot of caffeine. Um, <laughs> no, I think there's lots of ways. Posse for me is a lot of different things. You know, I think over the years, I've kind of, realized what I need as a person to function because before I was doing a lot of stuff for a lot of other people and I wasn't and I don't always take myself into account like again I'm very busy I do lots of things um and I put myself usually on the back burner and that includes putting you know relationships family everything it's it's always everyone else and then me at the end and so over the last few years I've been able to kind of find time to prioritize myself where I don't feel like I'm being greedy by like taking a little bit of time here and there I think mentality has a huge point of, you know, it, it's, it is really easy to be negative all the time and be like, shit sucks. I hate everything. The, I hate Thursdays. Honestly, Thursday's my worst day of the week and Thursdays are always bad for me. And I know they're going to be bad and something bad happens every Thursday and it never happens on a Monday or a Wednesday. It's always on a Thursday. So like, for me, it's to kind of like prep myself sometimes to be like, it's, we're going to fall. We're going to fall and we're going to trip and we're going to stumble. And that's just part of being human. So I have little things that like I do that make me feel better. Like I really like drinking tea and it makes me feel comfortable. So I have a very specific tea that I keep in my office at work. So when shit hits the fan, I'm like, tea time, we're doing this. We're going to drink some caffeine. We're going to get this tea. We're going to handle those emails. We're going to fix this shit. And the other thing is like, just because something bad has happened, it's just a moment. It's not your entire life. It's not your entire day. It doesn't have to be your entire hour. It's you are 100% in control of the things that go on that, that enter your body. And so if, you know, there's a toxic situation that's happening, don't let it inside. It takes a lot of energy and a lot of it took me a very long time to kind of stop caring so much about some of the things that I really cared about that I found to be very toxic and really negative for me. But when I realized that as a control freak, um, that I'm in control of myself, because the idea of some people saying, you're not in control of anything, sends me into a crazy panic. But if they say you're in control of yourself, I was like, 
shit, yeah, I got this. All right, I can control all of this. Okay, cool. So if I keep that in mind, you know, it's, I can't, you know, I, I can't micromanage my day in regards to other people, but I'm the one who can take something that's negative and try and turn it around to something positive. So it's really just like wrestling with whatever the negative thing is and just being like, not today, we're not doing this. We're gonna turn this thing around. Um, but it's taken a lot of time to get there. I, I was not there like even two or three years ago. I'm like a, an anxiety ridden mess most of the time. <laughs> yeah. Taking care of yourself and starting and starting to let go or maybe not being so over the top with doing things for other people. It was a hard yeah. thing to do. Yeah. You want to um, be helpful. Yeah. But it's you also it's don't hard. burn yourself out. <laughs> yeah, no, sometimes you're just like, dude, I can't, man. Sorry. I can't. And I feel bad saying no because I want to say yes, but I know I'm not going to do a very good job if I say yes of whatever that thing is. So I'd rather just say no and say, or like, let's follow up next week. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, how many times do you um, end up making plans with the friend or whatever? I mean, maybe not now still, but then you're yeah. like, dude, man, I'm so sorry. I'm so tired. Like, I think I'm just going to knock out. I can't do this. Can we do it I, next week or something? I have such a bad time not doing that where I'm like, if I'm making plans, I'm doing it. And I'm like drag. There's times where like I fall asleep, like up against a wall of like a venue because I worked a shift and then I went and I did something else. And then I came to a show cause I didn't want to say no to my, my friends who were in town playing a show and it's past midnight and now I'm old and sleepy. So it's like hits 1201 and I'm like, <sighs> like I can't, I feel really bad saying no most of the time. Cause I want people to know that I'm there for them. I want them to know that they have my support, you know, for what they do. But sometimes like you just gotta, I don't even make plans anymore. I'm like, I don't know if I show up, I show up. I'm sorry. It's just easier not to tell you if I'm going to be there or not, because maybe I'll bail and I don't want to be that person. <laughs> what was that tweet that's been circulating lately? If I'm yawning at your show and it's past 10, it's not you or something. Have you seen that? I saw something like that. Yeah. yeah. Earlier this week. Just like, I mean, sorry, it's dude. It's yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, like, dude, that's true, though. But yeah, sometimes you just got to do that, too, because. I mean, I'm at the point where if I don't get a decent amount of sleep, I'm like, oh, man, I don't want to get sick. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. at that age. Um, yep. You got to start taking care of yourself in a different way than you did in your 20s. <laughs> yeah, dude, you can't you're not at a, you're not at that point anymore where you could make it on two hours of sleep. No, oh, man. those were still not good though. Um, anyway, no, but like, <laughs> but I felt fine compared to like what it feels like now to go with like maybe four hours of sleep. I mean, I, it's, it's rough. If I don't get like a good eight hours, like you do not want to talk to me the next day. Dude, I know, man, it sucks. <laughs> Kendra, thanks so much for hopping on. I don't have, um, anything else to ask. Um, okay. unless you had any last words for the people, anything else you want to let them know? Follow the bad copy at thebadcopy.com. If you need help with your bands, reach out to me at type a promo. What else can I plug? Oh, the podcast is called enough. You can find us at this is enough podcast.com and just be nice to other people who knows what the hell they're going through. It's probably something much worse than you are that day.
So that was my conversation with Kendra. If you made it all the way through the episode, thank you for listening. To keep up with The Bad Copy, you can visit thebadcopy.com. To keep up with Type A Promo, you can go to Facebook and search Type A Promo and give the page a like. To keep up with Enough, you can visit thisisenoughpodcast.com. And if you're able to, I encourage you to give the podcast a listen. The topic of sexual assault and abuse is something that needs to continue to be addressed. Thank you again to Kendra for being a guest on the podcast and and for doing everything she does in the music scene. If you haven't yet, please check out the Keep It Posy podcast playlist on Spotify. As always, you can hit me up via email or social media. Keepitposy.com for all the contact info. Thank you again to everyone for listening to another episode of the Keep It Posy podcast. Please take care of yourself and watch out for each other. Stay posy always. And remember, life is like a mosh pit. If you see someone fall, you gotta help that person get back up. <laughs>